Welcome to A Feminist in Progress, the podcast that's about to get really difficult. I'm your host, Price, and I'm a writer, educator, and self-labeled feminist in progress. We continue our deep dive into four of the nine essays in Gia Tolentino's 29 collection of essays, Trick Mirror, Reflections on Self-Delusion. And in this episode, we're focusing specifically on the cult of the difficult woman. Tolentino describes the essay as being about, quote, the feminist obsession with difficult women, end quote. So let's gaze into the trick mirror for the second to the last time as we look at this so-called feminist obsession with difficult women. One of my favorite podcasts to listen to is You're Wrong About, originally co-hosted by journalists Sarah Marshall and Michael Hobbs, but is now solely hosted by Sarah Marshall with a different guest coming in each episode. In each episode, the host slash hosts reconsider a person or event that's been miscast in the public imagination, hence the title You're Wrong About. A common recurrence in the podcast is how some episodes focused on women who've been miscast in the public imagination, such as Monica Lewinsky, Lorena Bobbitt, Amy Fisher, Tammy Faye Baker, Anna Nicole Smith, Tanya Harding, Anita Hill, Yoko Ono, Janet Jackson, key women who were part of the O.J. Simpson trial back in the 90s, so... Marsha Clark, Paula Barbieri, and Nicole Brown Simpson. Marie Antoinette, Jessica Simpson, Courtney Love, Princess Diana, Vanessa Williams, The Chicks, formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, Catherine the Great, among other women who the show kind of like looked into or considered as women who have been kind of like miscast in the public memory. You're Wrong About and its premise came to my mind while rereading The Cult of the Difficult Woman for this mini-series on the podcast because it is an example of what Gia Tolentino has noticed in our culture lately. Namely, the rewriting of celebrity lives as feminist texts. She writes, and I quote, Feminist celebrity discourse operates the way most cultural criticism does in the social media era, along the lines of ideological pattern recognition, as Hua Su put in The New Yorker. Writers take a celebrity's life and her public narrative, shine the black light on it, and point to the sexism as it starts to glow. End quote. In a way, I live for this kind of you're wrong about black light shining social pastime. I see it as a way of reclaiming narratives, a a way of fighting back. It's how we got the Free Britney movement and the Me Too movement. It's how we've learned to cringe and retroactively say that's problematic when jokes about Monica Lewinsky from the 90s resurface. Or even if, in the contemporary times, 
a Monica Lewinsky joke gets thrown around. We're kind of like way past that. Tolentino describes this analysis of sexism through female celebrities as a catnip pedagogical method in that it takes a beloved cultural pastime, namely calculating the exact worth of a woman, and lends it progressive political import. It's also a personal manner because when we reclaim the stories that surround female celebrities, stories surrounding ordinary women are reclaimed too. It's what the Me Too exemplified when a collective but unspoken experience became a thing that we, society, began to confront. When women who are public figures talk about experiences of sexual harassment in the workplace or being sexually assaulted and all the complicated and nuanced things that tend to come with those experiences, we non-famous women and femme folks find some form of solidarity and recognition. That's why we say, me too. Yet, Tolentino provokes our thoughts when it comes to the idea of the difficult woman writing, and I quote, But when the case for a woman's worth is built partly on the unfairness of what's leveled at her, things get slippery especially as the internet expands the range and reach of hate and unfair scrutiny into infinity, a fact that holds even as feminist ideas become mainstream. Every woman faces backlash and criticism. Extraordinary women face a lot of it. And that criticism always exists in the context of sexism, just like everything else in a woman's life. These three facts have collapsed into one another, creating the idea that the harsh criticism of a woman is itself always sexist, and furthermore, more subtly, that receiving sexist criticism is in itself an indication of a woman's worth. End quote. This part of the essay made me think about criticism of female public figures here in the Philippines. Women like Aimee Marcos, Ella Cruz, Tony Gonzaga, and Sara Duterte. And how easy it can be to apply the pop feminist celebrity discourse on them in order to shield them from criticism and how there needs to be a fine line between valuing a woman in the face of mistreatment and valuing her because of that mistreatment. That is the need to distinguish between the legitimate need to defend women from unfair criticism and the illegitimate need to defend women from criticism categorically. In other words, I'm not going to come here and celebrate Sara Duterte for being a woman vice president in a sea that's historically been navigated by men when she sucks as a politician and has questionable political moves. I won't support a woman just because she happens to be a woman. That's not how feminism works. And it isn't sexist for you to criticize a woman when that woman's actions are complicit in things like violation of human rights. But those aforementioned women are not really the kind of difficult women that the essay unpacks. The difficult women are those traced as far back as the Bible with the likes of Eve and Delilah and in real life history like Joan of Arc. 
In other words, actual defiant women. By nature, difficult women cause trouble. And that trouble can almost always be reinterpreted as good, Tolentino writes. Women claiming the power and agency that historically belonged to men is both the story of female evil and the story of female liberation. To work for the latter, you have to be willing to invoke the former. Liberation is often mistaken for evil as it occurs. Defiance has been embedded in women's history if you think about it. Joan of Arc did it. The suffragettes did it. But when we look back on women's story, particularly those that have been miscast and maligned by the public, it's worth asking who exactly it is who failed these women. We failed them. We often like to say, but who, who's we? Who is the we that we're talking about here? This is why, as Tolentino says, it's tricky to generalize in the collective first person. We love to hate, mock, and fear powerful public figures like the Kardashians or once-upon-a-time train wrecks like Britney Spears or Paris Hilton. Tolentino theorizes that our veneration of these celebrities in all their difficulty their flaws, complications, and humanity allow us, ordinary women, to be accepted for our flaws and humanity. I agree with Tolentino when she said that there's a limit to reading celebrity lives like tea leaves. We non-celebrity women and femme folks are preoccupied by other things. Class, education, housing markets, labor practices, among others. And I believe, whether or not a woman is a celebrity or non-celebrity, she still lives under a patriarchal society that expects her to be a certain way. To be anything other than that, to be anything other than what she's expected to be, is to be an unruly woman. By that logic, every woman should be considered unruly. Well, by that logic, every woman should be considered unruly then, you know, just for merely existing. This is why there has to be a cautious step when one immerses themselves too much in celebrity feminism. My mind goes back to the episode on Always Be Optimizing when I brought up popular feminism. I'm wary of celebrity feminists because they can always stand to profit from whatever feminist moves they make or that the bare minimum they do gets to be labeled brave or empowering, like being too fat or too pregnant or too loud or defying age. I'm learning to be wary and cautious of female celebrities in general, which is to say I am apprehensive of the celebrity-turned-feminist, not so much the the feminist-turned-celebrity. There, there's an entire paragraph from the essay I'll, I'll quote, which, which articulates why I feel this way. And I quote, There is a blanket, untested assumption in feminist celebrity analysis that the freedom we grant famous women will trickle down to us. Beneath this assumption is another one. 
that the ultimate goal of this conversation is empowerment. But the difficult woman discourse often seems to be leading somewhere else. Feminists have, to a significant degree, dismantled and rejected the traditional male definition of exemplary womanhood. The idea that women must be sweet, demure, controllable, and free of normal human flaws. But if men placed women on a pedestal and delighted in watching them fall, feminism has so far mostly succeeding in reversing the order of operations, taking toppled over women and re-idolizing them. Famous women are still constantly tested against the idea that they should be maximally appealing, even if that appeal now involves difficult qualities. Feminists are still looking for idols, just ones who are idolized on our own complicated terms. End quote. Perhaps this is a trick mirror of sorts. This gazing into the celebrity lives, hoping they reflect on our lives such that we may be seen the way they're seen or celebrated the way they're celebrated. Maybe that's part of why we're also optimizing ourselves so much as women and femme folks. Because we see in our feminist celebrity figures a way of life that we can emulate. The essay goes on further to dive into U.S. politics, specifically on women who served in Trump's administration, and even on Hillary Clinton. But it's not what I want to get into in this episode. It's not where I want to gaze into. But I do want to reflect a bit on the 2022 national elections in the Philippines and how it all turned out. For transparency, I supported Lenny Robredo in the hopes that after six difficult years from Rodrigo Duterte's presidency, where sexism and misogyny were apparent staples, we could dare to hope for better days. It turned out that sexism and misogyny ran so deep that it played into the arguments lobbied against Robredo. In her own way, Robredo was a difficult woman, defiant in an environment that exerted itself too much to discredit her. And she's the one who got away. But I don't want to gaze into this trick mirror anymore. We're barely three months into this new administration in the Philippines, and I think the mirror is only about to reflect scarier images. So I'd rather close this episode with yet another quote from the essay, a food for thought of sorts, and a way to think twice about praising so-called difficult women. Quote, Feminist discourse has yet to fully catch up to the truth that sexism is so much more mundane than the celebrities who have been high-profile test cases for it. Sexism rears its head no matter who a woman is no matter what her desires and ethics might be. And a woman doesn't have to be a feminist icon to resist it. She can just be self-interested, which is not always the same thing. End quote. Thanks for joining me in this episode of A Feminist in Progress. 
Remember that you can support the show by giving a donation through paypal.me slash feministinprogress or via Gcash. The details are in the episode description. Please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Remember that you can stay in touch via Instagram at feministinprogresspod or through Facebook, a Feminist in Progress podcast. Join me tomorrow for our last episode in our mini-series on Trick Mirror. Until then, remember that when it comes to being a feminist, it's about progress, not perfection.